Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, everybody, welcome back into the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Brady Farkas. You can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady, our co-host, is Aaron Wells. You can follow him at 1013 Aaron WVT. 1013 Aaron WVT. Lots to get to today, including our interview with uh, a really cool guy, former Tennessee football offensive lineman Kyler Kerbison, who also did a short spell with the Patriots back in 2016. And he's the host of the Believe in Tennessee football podcast. You'll find out why we're talking with him as well. The podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline.ag is the only place to get your sports bets in here. Football's over, but gambling season is not. We've got the NBA. We've got the NHL. March Madness is going to be coming in a couple of weeks. Baseball season, pitchers and catchers just reported as we tape this. So basically, the fun never stops. Just do it responsibly, people. BetOnline.ag is the number one place to go and get your bets in. Make the account. It's free to do that. Then you put in what you want, and you earn big money back as long as you're good at it. And again, do it responsibly. Believe in Patriots podcast. Here we go, Aaron. You're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now, it's your host, me, Brady Farkas. All right, everybody, welcome back into the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Brady Farkas, Aaron Wells with me now. Aaron, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing good, just getting excited for potential offseason moves we are at the point now where the nfl offseason is getting insanely fun and it was never really like that you know i always thought that baseball had the best offseason because the hot stove league went the entire offseason you got moves as early as november 1st and as late as you know february 5th and it spanned the whole offseason i used to think baseball was the best Then the NBA came in and it started getting really good. There was about a week where we knew about some kind of tampering deals, legal or or not, and that came in. And then you got some big team, you know, big signings and guys changing teams and super teams, and that became fun. Now we're at the point where the NFL, Super Bowl ended February 7th, and now we're looking at a whole month and a half worth of quarterback carousel. In a normal year, you'd have the combine, and then you'd have the draft. Basically, the NFL offseason from February 7th till early to mid-May, right now, that that might be the best theater in sports in an offseason. Yeah, I'm actually curious to see over the next decade or so uh, if this trend continues with quarterbacks where they have sort of realized that they have similar power to what NBA stars have, where they can sort of just choose to force their way out of town if they want to. Because if that's the case, then every offseason is going to be interesting like this where you're going to see potential shakeups, which I sort of like chaos in football, so I wouldn't mind that necessarily. I don't love – I think player empowerment is good when you've earned the right to do so. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, 
I think Russell Wilson right now, who's calling a shot, he can call a shot. Okay. He's been there for a decade. He's been to the playoffs now, eight of his nine years. He's won a Super Bowl. He is the franchise right now. He's been nothing but a good soldier. I don't love that he's doing it publicly, but I think he's earned the right to say what's on his mind. Deshaun Watson, I'm not against him being upset. I'm against the way he's going about this. Deshaun Watson has five years left on his contract. This isn't some NBA star with one year left saying, look, I'm not going to resign here, so go ahead and trade me. This is a guy who just last September, when a lot of other bleep was already on the fan, Signed a, signed a contract extension, and he has five years left. I think that rather than force his way out of town, he needs to be having some conversations. Yeah, I, it's um, it's tough to understand necessarily what Deshaun Watson's thinking, what's going on, whether it's that he simply knows he doesn't have a future in Houston and he sort of wanted to do that NBA thing of get the money and then move your contract to a new city or if there's something going on behind the scenes that makes him angry, whatever it is, uh, I think for a lot of people, it doesn't feel like a good look. Whereas what Russell Wilson's doing makes perfect sense. I mean, the Seahawks haven't been able to protect him all that well for a while now, and he's sort of not really said much about it. And now it seems like he's finally reached the point of frustration where he's starting to say things. I'm curious to see if that gets resolved or if he decides to move on. Which I you know, know hurt you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at my, fa- at my core of fandom, I'm a Seahawks fan. Russ is not getting moved. I do think that he's out of his comfort zone and talking bad this way. But, you know, I do think he's entitled to say what he want, You know what he feels here. I think he has earned that. Let's talk about a quarterback who did also get his way out of a place, and that's Matthew Stafford. We talked about him for a couple of weeks, about his possible Patriots target. So we had heard that he didn't want to play for the Patriots. Tommy Kern of NBC Sports Boston said, Stafford said, I can go anywhere but New England. Stafford clarified that to the Detroit Free Press and said, look, there were several teams on the list that I didn't want to go to. I wanted to go somewhere where I can win a championship. So clearly, New England was not on that list for him. He didn't think New England could win a championship. Um, When you hear that, how does that land with you? I mean, it makes sense that we're not a quarterback away and he's reaching an age where it's sort of do or die in terms of a restart. Not everybody gets to be Tom Brady and have their stuff into their 40s. So for him, he's he's only got you know five years or so of being Matthew Stafford. He wants to go do it somewhere where he has a chance to get some rings. Uh, I think the Rams are definitely closer than the Patriots. It makes sense to me. And if he doesn't want to be... If he hated playing with Matt Patricia, like he wasn't going to want to be in New England. You know, I, it lands a little differently for me. One, he came out and said he has a great relationship with Patricia. Whether that's true or not, it is what he said, so that's what we have to go on. Um, I don't look at it that way. I, this is not about, to me, whether or not the, the Patriots are better than the Rams as a situation, because they're not. The, the Rams are a better situation than the Patriots. They are closer to a championship than the Patriots are. But – If the Patriots had Matthew Stafford and then had an additional $40 million in cap space, I would think the situation could get pretty good pretty fast. And so I don't think the Patriots were the best situation, but I also don't think they were some dumpster fire of a situation either. If Stafford comes here, he's clearly got to value his own skill set and think that he can be a significant upgrade over what Cam was. You have the continuity of Josh McDaniels, who has shown he can work with a veteran quarterback, and has, you know, he worked with Cam also. So he's 
worked with different personalities and um, you'd have the, number, the best head coach of all time. So best head coach of all time, Josh McDaniels, yourself, $40 million in cap space. You'd have a number 15 draft pick potentially, although they probably would have traded that away to get Matthew Stafford. And then you get the opt-out guys coming back on defense. And I'm not convinced about Miami. And I don't know what's going to happen with the Jets. So I, I think that if Matthew Stafford's here, the division is still you know, up for grabs with the Patriots being a player in it. Right. So if his original statement that he would go anywhere but New England is how he truly felt at that time, then it was something other than where New England's at organizationally because we're not even close to the worst team in the NFL. Um, but if he's looking for a contender now – then there are a lot of ifs in New England situation. Ifs that I think would go well if they had their quarterback. Um, but ifs nonetheless, and there's way fewer ifs with the Rams organization. Uh, but I would love to have gotten Stafford because then you're looking at potentially, you know, using some picks to get some offensive guys, getting some offensive guys early in the offseason. The next thing you know, our offense looks like you know, an NFL caliber offense again. But, you know, for him, I think it, it doesn't shock me that he wanted to go somewhere more secure. Um, I really think the Patriots need to get a quarterback in here prior to free agency. And yes. I, I don't know how it is, whether it's a trade, whether it's, you know, just having everybody industry in the industry know that there's going to be a signing. You're not getting top-flight wide receivers in free agency without knowing who the quarterback is as far as I'm concerned. If I'm a wide receiver, and unless I'm being massively overpaid, I mean, if the, if the Patriots are going to offer $20 million a year and the next team's offering eight, well, then sure, I'll come without knowing who the quarterback is. But the Patriots will never do that. So I need to know who's throwing me the football. Yeah, so you're either getting value play guys uh, like a Keelan Cole or something like that, or you're going to have to have a quarterback plan, whether that plan is to make a move for like a Jimmy Garoppolo or to have, you know, leak who you're picking up on day one for quarterback and free agency. And even that I don't think is necessarily a guarantee as far as getting you interest from wide receivers. Uh, but yeah, if you don't have a plan in place, you're not going to hit on anyone big. What did you think of Teddy Bruschi's comments? Former Patriot Teddy Bruschi said that uh, he didn't think Stafford was tough enough to play in New England. I don't agree with that. I think if you can play on a Detroit or a, in a Detroit franchise that's been awful for forever and has caused two of the greatest players of their positions ever to quit in their prime, uh, then you're plenty tough as far as dealing with organizations. I'd rather be an organization that's hard on players than one that's consistently failing their players yeah I, I disagreed with the comment too if it's physically tough we know that that's wrong Stafford yep. played through a bunch of injuries hasn't missed much time in his career did miss some of 2019 um, with an injury I think he missed like eight or nine games or so but by and large he's been pretty durable in terms of at least his willingness to play he's played in meaningless games in which he didn't need to and played through a bunch of injuries uh, so physically he's tough enough to play anywhere and mentally, I'm with you, too. Look, he has played in an organization that's been really bad, and he's kept coming back. He's dealt with multiple head coaching changes, multiple regime changes in the front office, uh, constant instability as a franchise. He's dealt with the weight of being the number one pick. He's dealt with the weight of being an incredibly highly paid number one pick. 
And he has been there to lift up a, at the time, what was kind of a fledgling city. Now, Detroit is on the way back up now, but it was in a downtrodden place for a while. And Stafford had the pressure of being the face of the city for a while. So I, I, I think Matthew Stafford has dealt with a lot in his career. I think he's mentally tough enough to play anywhere. And he played for Patricia, who's Belichick light. So I think he could play for Belichick also. Yeah, and it's not just a bad organization. It's a bad organization in a, in a city that didn't have some other team to lean on. Like, you can afford to be bad in some markets because they've got another team that they can be happy about, so they're not necessarily as likely to crush you. In Detroit, like, they've got nothing right now. And I th- honestly, also, this is sort of in Teddy Bruschi's MO. He's definitely a homer. Everyone knows that, I think. So it's not shocking that he would take uh, Stafford's comments and turn them into he's too weak to be in New England. (laughs) Well, interesting stuff there. Let's get to our interview for the day with Kyler Kerbison, who is the host of the Believe in Tennessee podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. The reason why we're talking to him is a couple of different things. One, he did a spell with the Patriots back in 2016. He was an all-SEC offensive lineman at Tennessee, very good player, and the Patriots are rumored, as we tape this, to be very close to coming to an agreement with Tennessee, former Tennessee quarterback Bo Hardigree to be on their offensive coaching staff, potentially as the quarterback coach to replace Jed Fish. So Kyler Kerbison has a lot of different angles here he's going to attack with us. So uh, let's get to it. All right, welcome in now. It's the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Joining me now is Kyler Kerbison, who is a former Tennessee football player, host of the Believe in Tennessee podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. All SEC linemen is rated by ESPN.com. Kyler, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate you having me on. Well, appreciate you being with us. Uh, I got to say, Kyler Kerbison, that is among the most alliterative names I've ever seen in my life. How many... (laughs) How many substitute teachers, first day of school teachers got tongue tied with your name? Uh, yeah, it is kind of difficult. Uh, I do enjoy the fact that it's two K's, um, <laughs> but I've been called Tyler more times than I can count. Um, <laughs> and it's either Kerb Bison or Kirby Son, um, how people usually say my last name, but just put it together and you're all good, <laughs> just Kerbison. And uh, it, it's definitely uh, caused some issues in my life, but uh, got good nicknames out of it. You know, a lot of the guys I played with in, in college would just call me Curb hmm. or Kirby, and that was it. So it was just the easiest, simple way to say it. <laughs> now, you're a young guy, under 30 years old, I think 27. Uh, you know, you had a, a stint in the NFL that we'll get to here, but uh, the media usually is the bad guy. Why'd you want to join our team here? Why'd you come over to this side <laughs> of things? Well, I never really saw the media as bad guys, to, so let's start with that. <laughs> um I think I really started to dive into it my last year in college and understand the value of the media and the appreciation of, of what they do. Um, I mean, it helped me tremendously just from a, I know, selling point of who I am. I wanted people to know who I was as an athlete and uh, get to know me as a, as a person. And then, you know, once I got done with football I was thinking, how can I be around the sport? How can I be a part of everything that's going on in the sports realm without playing? And media, that's yeah. it, you know? And and I can ne- I will never get tired of talking about sports. So if I just research and talk about sports all day, I'm going to be a happy man. 
That is a trust me, it's a fun job. And you know, I'm a washed up college athlete myself. Now I played division three baseball. It wasn't like I was playing in the SEC football or anything, but when it ends, you need something else to go to, and this is what we go to. Yeah, exactly. I I, I mean, I've seen a few people try and dabble in it and uh I think I always think it's it's such a it's seen seen as such a bad thing. It's seen as such, you know, they're the criminal, the media is a criminal. But I don't think so. I, I think they just want to talk. They just want to talk about sports. They just want to be part of everything that's going on. I mean, every everyone who's in media is a sports fan. That's why they're there. They they love sports. So I, I would just view everyone like that. You were a multi-year starter in college on the offensive line, played at a historically good program, a historically relevant program, and yet you're an offensive lineman. Do you ever get jealous? Because the media is not coming to the offensive line very often. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, people don't really remember you if you're an offensive lineman. Uh, they'll remember the quarterbacks, the running backs, the skill guys. Uh, but you know, O and D line, they don't don't necessarily remember you as much. Um, but I, I think if you approach it in a good mindset, then the media will come to you. Uh, if you approach it as being open, uh, you know, being able to share what's really going on with you and what's really going on with your life, then the media will appreciate that. And I think that's what happened my last year uh, at Tennessee was I just became open. I, I started giving good answers and telling them exactly how I felt and they loved it and they wanted to hear from me more and more people wanted to hear from me. And I think that's the only way as an offensive lineman to really get out there um, and have people know you. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's tough to be in the shadows so often as as an offensive lineman give me the you could probably go for an hour on this just you but look in the northeast here man we don't do college football very much and there's a couple different reasons for that right like there's no really good programs in the northeast and you know i grew up in upstate new york i'm in vermont now like boston college isn't good and it's far away syracuse isn't good and it's still kind of far away uconn isn't very good and it's far away so like and then specifically with the Patriots, they're always picking at the back end of the draft. So it's not like we have to follow, you know, the top draft <laughs> prospects. Yeah. So, um, because we just don't know. Tell me what SEC football is really like. We hear the stories. What is it like? Uh, so it, it it is honestly like a religion hmm. to most people. Um, you go to a game on Saturday and you go to church on Sunday. That's, hmm. that's what your weekend entails. And you know, you say the Bible belt, once you get below the Bible belt, it, it really does feel like that. And it, it means a lot to people. It can affect their entire year, entire week. Hmm. Um, everything that goes on in their life, uh, just based off winning and losing. And I think growing up in it, because I am from Knoxville, grew up in a town called Oak Ridge right outside that. I understood the importance of giving it my all going out there and and doing as well as I possibly could for the fans. Like this is a big deal to everyone here. I I mean, you heard the stories of Vol Twitter and, you know, them holding off a coach from being hired (laughs) Um, and just amazing things that they've done in the past. And and, uh, I think that's, evidence enough of how fanatic uh 
these guys can be down here. And, and, uh, I mean, it just, it just means more. I mean, when they have those commercials SEC, it just means more. Like it really does. Like it means so much to every single person. And if a fan can say, Hey, well, we beat you in swimming and diving. They'll, they'll say it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if you get beaten football, I mean, football is King, but if there's another sport, that we're national champions of and, and, you know, we beat Alabama and we beat Florida, we'll bring it up just so that we have something on a, a, an opposite fan. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to be a part of it. And I, I was so blessed to actually play at Tennessee and, you know, get to experience it from that side too. Favorite, favorite SEC opponent to go into and play favorite opposing venue. Favorite opposing venue, um, I would have to say Florida. Um, yeah. I didn't have too much success as yeah. a Tennessee football player. Uh, we didn't win that much. But to go into a venue, I would definitely say Florida. Um, one I hated the most is <laughs> Alabama. Yeah. Um, and if you're an opposing fan, you've watched a game – at Alabama before every first down that they get, and they usually get a lot of them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's another Alabama first down. And the whole stadium says roll tide. Oh, you and, hate stuff like that. And oh. It gets very annoying, very quick. Um, so I always hated playing there. Uh, but I enjoyed playing at Florida, even though didn't win there. Um, because, Florida is by far the biggest rival in my eyes, and I always wanted to beat them there and give it my all against Florida and always saw them as the biggest opponent that we had. So I would definitely say them for sure. Could you marry a girl who went to the University of Florida? How deep do these rivalries go? Um, So (laughs) funny you should say that. My my wife now, we went to – High school together, went to college together at UT, and she got a master's of law at UF. Oh, so technically, wow. so technically, I am married to a Florida graduate. Um, <laughs> obviously, she is a Tennessee fan, um, but Florida just so happened to be the best option for her uh, following her, her law degree and, and uh, being able to get that master's. At least it's orange. I guess at least it's orange. Yeah, I I, I always hated it. You know, they'd send stuff in the mail to her uh, (laughs) before we got down there and, uh, you know, give her little token bags and stuff like that. And I I just hated that blue and orange. Like, please get it out of the house. I can't. I cannot take it. You know, let's get back. I'll have some more fun college questions and Tennessee questions for you. But let me let me get to some Patriots specific stuff real quick here. You actually had a a short run with the Patriots a little couple of weeks couple of weeks, I think it was 2016 in training camp. You were there for two or three weeks. Um, what was your experience like? Did you even have an experience in, in that short of time? Um, yeah, I had a little bit of an experience. Uh, it was my first introduction to an NFL playbook. Um, it just stinks that it happened to be the Patriots playbook, which is very extensive. Is it real? Uh, you hear that, but how bad, how bad in quotes is it? Um, so if I could explain it as easy as possible with every run play that you have um i would say probably 20 different 
run plays, uh, wow. you have a play action pass off each and every run play. Wow. So they set it up to where no matter the formation, you don't exactly know if it's going to be a run, if it's going to be a pass. Um, and it was definitely an eye-opening experience. Uh, being at the Patriots, seeing the Patriot way uh, and everything that they do, and it almost made other playbooks seem easy. Uh, after I was with the Pats, I, I went down to Tampa and uh, was there for a week and a half during training camp, got cut before the season, and then came back for practice squad later in the year. But the offense seemed simple, seemed very mm. easy once I got down to Tampa. And I think it was just because I just tried to understand <laughs> the Patriots offense, and uh, that one seemed so much more simple. But um, – yeah, I mean, I had a good experience. It was it was a learning curve. It made me understand what NFL football is going to be like. Um, and, you know, got to be on the same team with Tom Brady for a little bit. Uh, and, I, you know, I joke about it, but I got to snap a ball to two of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live in Peyton Manning and Tom Brady because Peyton used to come back to Tennessee here in the offseason – throw routes with the receivers and running backs. Hmm. Um, and he would use us as offensive linemen as centers. And um, so I've, I've had two quarterbacks be hmm. right up underneath me. <laughs> um, and I, I just think that's, I think that's kind of cool that I was able to be a part of that. What is Brady like? You know, I, I've talked to people who've had long careers with Brady. I've talked to people who've been around him for one day in practice. So what was your experience? Like of just even being around Brady, what was he like? He's a very intense guy, um, and I guess everyone says that. Uh, he's very meticulous. He's got to have it exactly the way that he wants uh, so that he can perform at the best of his ability. Uh, so I, I've got a good Tom Brady story that I've shared before. But um, So I'm starting to practice as a third-string left guard. Okay. Our second-string center gets hurt. Uh, he gets a concussion. Coach asks – who can snap. I obviously raised my hand. I, I can do it. So I start going with the second team. Now, 2016 is the year Brady was out the first four games. Yeah. So he's running a lot with the second team. So I'm snapping to Brady. Um, like I said, didn't plan to be center that day. Yeah. Uh, but we get done. We get done with a, a portion. I think we're doing like r- run drills, half line, something like that. Um, and he comes over to me. He goes, "Dude, you're soaking wet. Hmm. I, I can't stand it. You're 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 soaking wet. You're sweating like crazy. I, I you need to fix that. And this is, I mean, middle of August. Yeah. I mean, I know it's in New England, but still, it's hot. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, like I don't know what to do. Like, yeah, I'm I'm so I'm sweating. Like that's that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> we go to individual period. We come back. I go with him again. He's like, bro, you have to you have to do something. You have to change. Like, get a towel." start wiping yourself down, something like that. So they hand me a towel, full, full size towel. I start, you know, rubbing myself down my belly, uh, you know, you know, start flossing in between my legs, start rubbing down my butt, like just trying to dry off everything that I can. Um, and he's, he's given me, he's giving me crap the entire time I'm doing that. Like, why, like, why are you wearing that shirt? I had like a baggier shirt on. He's like, you can't wear that. You gotta wear a tight shirt that, that, that's going to get sweat everywhere. You got to wear a tighter shirt. Um, 
I'm like, okay, okay. Like this is a goat. I'm like, okay, okay. I'm just trying to figure it out. Uh, then they bring me another full length towel and have me stuff it down my pants on, onto my butt. It's not a hand towel. This is a full size towel that you would dry off with in the shower to stuff down my pants. Um, and then he had an equipment guy, just, I don't know where he got it from, but bring over gold bond. And they literally dumped it down the back of my pants had to shake it down there, try and get it down into the cracks and crevices (laughs) to just dry off for the back of his hand. Oh, my God. (laughs) And And is he mean about that? Like, I'm picturing Tom Brady not being – he's got a dry humor. I'm picturing him not being funny about this. No, so he he is, like, giving me crap the entire time about it, and I'm sitting on the fence of, like, is he trying to be funny? Is he, you know – pissed off but once i got all the stuff done and, and got it taken care of he was like see kerberson it's not that effing hard <laughs> and that was like a joke like he smiled when he said that and uh so in the end he was messing around with me but it is goes to show like th- this is the things he's so meticulous about everything that he wants you know everything perfect to where he can perform at the best of his ability. And I mean, that's probably why he's got seven rings. You know, that's why he is considered the goat because he, he takes time and and wants to make sure everything is running smoothly. But I mean, you can definitely see it. If you look back at, you know, old new England tape or, or, you know, look at this year with Tampa, the center and the backup center have a full size towel in the back of their pants oh, during games. I think Ryan Jensen, the center for Tampa, did tell a similar story at the beginning of this year after his first meeting with Brady, like throwing him yeah. back high school field. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure Brady was like, "Hey, look, this is the first thing you need to know. Uh, I need you to be dry as at all times." <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about the quarterback offensive line relationship. And what I mean is, Cam Newton was here this year. And, and I really liked Cam. His numbers weren't that great. They weren't that great. Cam didn't throw the ball well. So there's a lot of people who just want to move on from Cam. But the one thing that was very clear is that the locker room believed in him. The locker room loved him, and they rallied behind him. Talk to me a little bit about that belief. You might know your quarterback's not great, but if you like him, what? how big a difference is that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's huge. You know, in college, I've roomed with – uh, my quarterback and Justin Worley. So I, you know, I think having a connection uh, with the leader of your team, that's how it's always seen, you know, growing up since your peewee football is the quarterback is the leader. Uh, so having trust in him, understanding the kind of work that he puts in makes it possible for you to believe in him. A lot of times, you know, quarterbacks might not play to the best of their abilities or, or, you know, might not succeed like they they should, but guys will still rally around them because they saw all the work that they put in, all of the, you know, time in the film room, all of the meetings that they would do individually. I mean, I'm sure Cam spent time with the offensive linemen individually, with the wide receivers individually, just getting to know them, just understanding who they are, you know, maybe watching film with them um, and getting on a connective level. And that makes it to where you're, you're going you're gonna to go out to bat for that guy. You're, you're going to give it all, you're all for him because you see how much work he puts in, how much effort, and how much he cares about what's going on, how much he cares about the Patriots. Now, 
he didn't do too well, like you said, this year. Um, I'm not sure, you know, exactly what they're going to do, if they're going to keep him on or or maybe look somewhere else. But, I, um, I mean, I think it says a lot about a guy if he can get the entire team to believe in him and, you know, be on his side, even if he isn't playing to the best of his abilities. Because I think that kind of happened at Tennessee with um, Jared Garantano. He was been, been our quarterback the past few years. And he really didn't do that well. He, he really didn't play that well this season. But all of the players believed in him. They, they they all wanted him to succeed. They all wanted him to do well. And I think it's just they spent so much time with him and, and working out with him in the offseason. And, you know, in the NFL, it's OTAs and understanding the effort that they put in. Um, there's another Tennessee connection with the Patriots that looks like it's going to happen. There's a, a, a former Tennessee quarterback by the name of Bo Hardegree, who's you know reportedly going to join yep. the Patriots staff and become uh, maybe the quarterback's coach there. Does does the Tennessee community have any insight on Bo Hardegree? Uh, well, um, he didn't really play much at Tennessee. <laughs> I think he got a few snaps. Uh, but it's always great to see a fellow VFL, you know, move on up, get get a nice job. Um, I think what what's what's great about Bo is the amount of experience he has. Now, I think it's really good that he is getting out from under Adam Gase uh, just because, I mean, Adam Gase really isn't going in the right direction as we speak. And a lot of times coaches get caught in, well, I'm just going to stay with this coach as he goes and just hang on his coattails as he gets job after job after job. And a lot of times you need to change the scenery. Um and, you know, I think his experience with Duke is probably the best that he's had under Cutcliffe. Yep. And just understanding an offense through those eyes and, you know, Cutcliffe being such a great quarterback coach and great offensive mind um, really helps Bo in that. Now it's going to be a completely different kind of quarterback than Bo might be used to in Cam Newton. Um, but, you know, I, I wish him the best. I, I hope he does well. Um, you know, when you're looking back on it, though, I don't know if he's had great success. I mean, when he was a quarterback coach in Miami, they had Tannehill. And we saw, you know, now that Tannehill's with the Titans, how much better he is. Yeah, how much better he is, like how, how much he was underutilized, I guess, or, or you know, not coached up the appropriate way in, in Miami. So I don't know. I, I hope I hope everything goes well. I think. You know, there might have been a connection there with Gerard Mayo because they played yeah. together. Um, and maybe, you know, Mayo was like, yeah, Bill, like this is a good guy. Uh, you, you can definitely trust him. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be good for, for Bo, especially, you know, under Josh um, and learning under him because he is a great offensive mind. I don't care what you say. And, you know, after the season you guys had, I mean, you lost your franchise quarterback. You lost yeah. your – franchise linebacker and Dante Hightower then you also lost three other linebackers to uh trades and offseason um you know picks and and you guys lost a lot and you still went seven and nine and you know there was a few games the Seahawks game that first Bills game um the Denver game where it could have just been one or two plays and you guys could have been the wild card so I mean it I think it goes to show how great of a coach Bill Belichick is. And, you know, I know everyone's saying he lost the divorce now that Tom Brady has a ring, but he had 
a lot worse a situation than than Tom did down in Tampa, I would say. He, yeah, he definitely did. Let me get you out of here on a couple of rapid fire ish questions before I okay. let you go. You mentioned, you know, being a Tennessee guy, you mentioned hanging out with Peyton Manning. What is Peyton like? Funny, funny guy. Um, very down to earth. Uh, I remember the first time I met him, he at, he was like, "You're off to lineman." I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Do you drink beer?" It's like, "Yeah." Hmm. He goes, "Good," because I don't trust off to lineman who don't drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was the, my first introduction to Peyton Manning, and it was it was when he was actually rehabbing like his neck and everything. Yeah, um, and he had come down to Tennessee and was you know working with some some guys in the, in the complex. And that was my first introduction. I was like, damn, this guy's really cool. Hmm. Like he, he is seen as a legend, the sheriff, um, you know, he's got a road named after him and he's so down to earth and, and such a cool guy. Um, opposing player you played against that left you in awe. Opposing player. Um, well, I will say that, the toughest defensive lineman I had to go against was Gerald McCoy. Um, yeah, when I was, yeah, when I was down in Tampa, uh, you know, being a practice squad guy, second teams always going against first, and having to block him, having to try and give him a good look, uh, it was it was pretty incredible the difference between some of the guys I played in college and then him, uh, just because he's so strong, but he's freakishly long like you don't expect him to be that long he's very long arms um you know and there, there was a reason he got paid 70 million while he's down in tampa i mean he was he was crushing it down there and and definitely a very very good athlete what is the bottom of a fumble pile really like <laughs> um i would definitely say there's more going on than you think uh you do anything that you can to get that ball. Um, and I'm not sure how to explain it, but you know, when you actually have the ball, when you're at the bottom of the pile and you have a hold of it, it is like the last thing you'll ever have. It is the most important thing in that moment. And all you can do is grit your teeth and squeeze it as hard as you can and make sure it doesn't go anywhere. And the adrenaline pumping and everything that's going on, you're not quite sure if someone's pinching you, poking you, trying to punch the ball out, uh, what's going on around you. You're just hoping, hey, I I want these people to get off me so they know that I have the ball and we can move on. But, uh, you know, uh, Coach Jones, when I was at Tennessee, he, he used to say the ball has our dreams, goals, and aspirations. <laughs> so make sure you take care of it. Um. Let me see. I got a couple more on my mind here. It, Tennessee's got the live dog mascot, right? Yes, Smokey. Ro- Smokey. Why did I think his name was Rocky? There's Rocky Top, yes, but I, why did I think yeah. his name was Rocky? What is Smokey like? Uh, I never got to meet Smokey, but, oh. uh, yeah, it's not necessarily a uh, a thing of you get to meet Smokey if you're a football player. I thought um, it was roaming down the sidelines. He was he was roaming down the sidelines, but you know during the game I'm not necessarily paying attention to him. Um, but yeah, Smokey is blue tick hound, um, very popular in Tennessee. A lot of people just have them because of Smokey, and it, it you know it brings a lot of pride to to who we are. We're, we're the volunteers, you know we don't 
there's not necessarily a volunteer mascot. So uh, having Smokey there, having a mascot there is is always nice. Um, as as an offensive lineman, would you rather line up in the tight end spot and leak out for a touchdown, or get lined up in the backfield and power one through from the fullback position? I would probably say leak out for a touchdown. Um, and the reason I say that is because if I'm in the fullback position, there are a lot more factors if I can get in the end zone. You know, yeah. the offensive line blocking, the linebacker, if he's jumping over the top, uh, you know, the center quarterback exchange, there's a lot more factors. If I'm just leaking out, it's me selling it and me catching it. And if it's on me, I feel a little bit better about my chances. Um, and I always felt like if I got an opportunity, there's no way I would drop that ball. But who knows what would happen. <laughs> Kyler Kerbison, former Tennessee offensive lineman, all SEC is according to ESPN. Had a stint with the Patriots and the Bucks in the NFL. Kyler, man, we appreciate it. You can check Kyler's workout on the Believe in Tennessee podcast where they're talking volunteers as well we'll see what happens with Bo Hardegree hopefully the uh, hire gets finalized here in the next couple of days so Kyler man we appreciate you I kept you for about 15 minutes longer than I said I would so thanks for being a good sport man and uh, we look forward to checking out your podcast as well yeah no problem I appreciate you having me on um and uh you know go Vols all right I want to thank former Tennessee offensive lineman Kyler Kerbison for coming on with us here on the Believe in Patriots podcast you can check him out on the Believe in Tennessee podcast. Aaron, a lot of great stuff there. Um, let's kind of wrap this up. Um, a lot was made this week of the Patriots being at Trevor Lawrence's pro day. And they're like, well, why are the Patriots there? They have no chance to draft him. Are the Patriots going to trade for the number one pick? Are they going to get Trevor Lawrence here? What's going on? Uh, I think it's absolutely zero deal at all. Time, zero, like less than zero the Patriots showed up at Trevor Lawrence's pro day. What do you think? So there's two things to consider here. One, if the Jaguars were willing to part with the first round pick, the first overall pick, it would take a massive number of assets beyond, I think, what New England has. Two, I simply don't think the Jaguars are willing to part with that pick. So I, Bill Belichick likes to scout guys and understand what's out there and you know, maybe this will help him when Trevor Lawrence's rookie deal is up if ever doesn't want to stay where he gets drafted, which will almost certainly be Jacksonville. But even if they're willing to part with that pick, I don't think New England can go get it. I mean, they're going to be asking for a lot. Yeah, and I think I, I may be wrong on this, but I think you could only trade draft picks three years out. So it's not like you could even say, we'll trade our next six first-round picks. You can only trade three years out at a time. Right. So you could give up three firsts all your seconds, but like you can't just put in five firsts if you don't actually have five firsts in the next three drafts, and the Patriots don't. Right. There are tons of teams that could put together much better pick packages and better player packages in terms of what they can afford to give up than the Patriots. So we would lose that bidding even if it were something that the Jaguars were willing to do. Yeah, I think you're right about scouting and preparation. I think that's where this lands for me pretty easily. Um, you're right. Bill Belichick has been known to bring in players just to get a look at them and have stuff on record about them. Uh, we see the Patriots do this with free agents in season all year long. They bring in guys that they don't end up signing just because they want to have a book on them. So if Trevor Lawrence does become a free agent at some point or become available in a trade, they can say they saw him in person and 
kind of see where at least his skill set started from and how it grows or materializes as he goes through his career. And think about this also. Trevor Lawrence can get drafted by the Jaguars. Patriots play the Jaguars this year, 2021. So now at least they've seen him firsthand. We also don't know that they're not going to play the Jaguars week one, so there might not be tape on Trevor Lawrence already. This might be some of their experience. They also play the Houston Texans this year. If if the Jaguars trade that pick to the Texans and Watson goes to Jacksonville, now you can see Trevor Lawrence in Houston potentially. And maybe Trevor Lawrence ends up with the Jets. And, you know, at the number two pick, maybe the Jets trade up from two to one. Maybe the, who knows what could happen. The Patriots see the Jets twice a year. So any number of permutations could involve the Patriots playing Trevor Lawrence this year. I think it's absolutely smart. And it's just in line with what the Patriots have always done in terms of their preparation. Yeah, uh, this is an organization that has always prioritized, to the point of scandal, prioritized having tape on people, having film, having, as you said, a book, a record on people. And if he is potentially somehow going to end up in the division, or at the very least going to be on the schedule this year, then you want to have tape. And if he's going to become a free agent down the road, having that tape and potentially having a rapport, do, do you know if they like, you know, met with him personally in their visit? Um, uh I don't. Now, it's hard to, you know, given COVID, it's hard to do things. But I do believe at pro days, there was going to be an opportunity for some conversation. The pro days are really taking the place of the combine. So the combine isn't happening this year in its normal form. The pro days are kind of what's taking the place. So I got to imagine there was some in-person conversation there, although not as in-depth maybe as you would get at a normal combine setting. Yeah, so even that is, I think, more valuable than any pipe dreams of getting him in the draft. Just having a a relationship of some kind with that guy in the event that he becomes available later. Um, But I I think it's mostly having tape on him so that even just as an opponent, you have a little more to look at. Are you? A, we're talking about the schedule and all the teams the Patriots will play this year. Are you a big schedule guy in the off season? No, I, I uh, subscribe to the ideology that there's so much parity in the league. It's hard to tell what the schedule is going to mean until it's started. Case in point, everyone was afraid of the Ravens going into 2020, and they sort of fell apart midseason because of COVID stuff, and they didn't hit their stride again until the end of the season. So not everybody who was scared of the Ravens going in actually had to deal with a dangerous Ravens team. They had to deal with a half-baked Ravens team. It's hard to tell what teams are going to be, even if you think they're really good or bad. Hmm. Well, I, I love schedule hunting. It's one of my favorite things. There's like things in sports that I don't like. Like I don't get hopped up in Hall of Fame voting, you know, because it's hard to compare guys from this era to that era and compare this stat to that stat. Hall of Fame voting is never something I've been that interested in unless it has a direct link to one of the teams that, that we talk about or cover. Um, you know, here on this podcast and on my radio show. So I don't have an interest in that really. Schedule hunting, I love. I love going through and checking WL. I love looking who are we playing and when. When's the West Coast trip? How many night games? I I love trying to figure out what all of it means. I I get that. Uh, I think I I just, you know, I don't feel that way about looking out in that, which is funny because – it's funny because I love looking to the future when it comes to like the draft or free yeah. agency, but when it comes to schedules, I just don't trust any reputation stuff. Well, I love looking at schedules, and I do think there's carryover year to year 
for you know who you think can be good. Injuries are obviously going to come along and buoy a team up or knock a team down. But you know, by and large, like if we went into this year for the Patriots, I think we thought Seattle was going to be a tough game, and it was. I think we thought San Francisco was going to be a tough game, and it was. Now it looked it was tough in a different way than yeah. it was. Um, but I think we knew that. I think we knew that. Now the team that surprised me on the Pat schedule was the Rams. I did not think the Rams were going to be as good as they ended up being now because they were playing out West back to back with the chargers. And it was a Thursday night game. I could have seen the the Pats losing that game, but I didn't think the Rams overall were going to be as good as they were. I think in the division, we generally knew who was good and who wasn't. We knew the jets weren't very good. And we knew that the bills were going to be good. So I, I think that by and large who the Patriots played this year, we knew a lot about them going in the one game that I'll go back to this year and think, the Pats absolutely had no business losing that game was Denver. Yes. I, I know Denver has a lot of talent and people think they might be a quarterback away from being really good. And maybe that's true. The Patriots had no business losing that game at home to Drew Locke. And it was the first game back from Cam with COVID. And I still think he was impacted by that. So maybe that played a role. But the Pats, that's the one game going in. I had them penciled in for a win that turned out to be a surprising loss. Well, it's funny because they were a team that was talented but would end up dropping the ball. So that's that's a team against a coaching staff as good as Belichick's that you would assume you'd get the win against because if they if they get in their own way and lose games despite having talent, like that's what you're looking for as a New England team that doesn't have as much talent as it has in the past. So it definitely hurts to lose that one when you know you're going to be facing teams that don't get in their own way as much down the road. All right, that's going to do it for us on the day. I want to thank Aaron Wells, our co-host, as always, for joining us, and Kyler Kerbison, former Tennessee offensive lineman. So uh, hope you enjoyed that interview with him. We'll be back again next week as we continue to take you through the offseason. Aaron, be well, my man. And until next time, go Pats. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.